the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. At the end of his ministry, the night that he was betrayed, we read in John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, and the thought there, as we said last week, it's not if in the sense that there's a question about it, it's since the world does hate you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus wanted his his followers to understand that once he was out of the way in terms of his physical presence, they would be the targets of persecution. So he wants us to understand that. As we heard in previous lessons, we should not go out of our way to trigger persecution. Lovingly and honestly sharing the good news of God's grace will generate plenty of hostility without any effort on our part to antagonize people. Jesus gave us a clear picture of why we can expect opposition and where it will come from. That's our topic again on Verse by Verse. It's good to have you with us today for the continuation of our study. It's coming from Matthew chapter 10. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our instructor in these daily Bible classes of the air. His more than 26 years of ministry at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, have led to the development of this radio program. As we have studied persecution and less drastic forms of opposition to the gospel, we have seen that Jesus has so far identified religion and government as two sources of hostility. Today we will hear about a third source, one that always seems to shock and hurt us when we encounter it. Now here is Pastor Steve with our lesson. The first time I ever heard about salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ was when I was an 18-year-old freshman at the University of South Florida. There was a fellow student there a young man who had recently become a Christian himself, who took an interest in me. He befriended me, and he began to tell me about Jesus. But frankly, I really wasn't interested in hearing what he had to say about Jesus. And the reason I gave to my friend for my lack of interest and my belief in Christ was simply that I was Jewish. And I thought that was really a very valid reason for my unbelief. But after a while, I realized that I, I really needed to come up with something that sounded more intelligent than, than that, that I'm just Jewish, and that's why, something more substantial about unbelief and why I rejected Christ. And so in my arrogance, I decided to purchase the Bible, and I would read through, I, I thought, the New Testament and present to my friend all of its errors and all of its contradictions, and I would show him why I had made the right decision not to pursue an interest in Jesus. But as I began to read the New Testament, two very unusual things happened to me. Number one, as I read the words of Jesus, I anticipated hearing not only errors and contradictions that he said, but I really anticipated finding all kinds of anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish comments that would be attributed to him 
And yet I found none of that. In fact, I found just the opposite. Instead of finding hatred in Christ's words, I discovered that he spoke about virtues like love and compassion and gentleness, peace, joy, faith, kindness. And I really was pleasantly surprised. In fact, I began to admire Jesus and find my, my, I found my heart being drawn to him. But the second unusual thing that happened to me during my initial exposure to the New Testament was that when I shared with my Jewish friends on campus my positive and new positive impressions about Jesus, they reacted with such deep anger and hostility that it really left me wondering why. Instead of dampening my interest in Christ, their negative reaction actually heightened my interest in Him, and it drove me to read more of the New Testament because I reasoned there must be something I'm missing. Why are they so angry about Him? I'm, I'm telling them things that I'm reading about Him, and they're positive, and yet they were very, very angry. And so in an ironic twist of things, their hostility towards Christ actually was used by God to make me curious as to why they would be so disapproving of someone who said so many admirable things. So I reasoned that there had to be something I was missing, and so I would just read on. And in reading on, I eventually came to faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. It's been over 35 years since my introduction to the New Testament and my friend's negative response to Christ And I've since come to understand that in spite of Christ's impeccable and perfect character, it is not unusual for unbelievers to react with hostility towards him. In fact, the Bible teaches that we can expect it. We can expect non-Christians to despise Christ and not only to despise him, but to actually at times lash out at believers, at Christians by persecuting them. Now, Jesus, as you read through the New Testament, you'll see that he often warned his followers about this, about persecution, and he did it so often to protect them so that they wouldn't be blindsided, they wouldn't be caught off guard. They would understand that when it happened, that this is something that was not out of the ordinary. Jesus spoke of this. For example, in Matthew chapter 5, I think this would be the initial mention of of persecution in the New Testament. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is giving, actually at the beginning, the Beatitudes. He he tells them at the close of the Beatitudes, starting in verse 10, he says this, he said, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What an encouraging statement. If If you've been persecuted, if you are being persecuted, if you will be persecuted, you're a blessed person because it proves that the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, Jesus said, and be glad, for your reward is in heaven, and it's great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That is the initial statement that Christ made about persecution. At the end of his ministry, the night that he was betrayed, we read in John chapter 15, verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, and the thought there, as we said last week, it's not if in the sense that there's a question about it, it's since the world does hate you. You know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus wanted his his followers to understand that once he was out of the way in terms of his physical presence, they would be the targets of persecution. So he wants us to understand that. And then in Matthew 24, verse 9, in the context of end times, Jesus also spoke about that. In Matthew 24, verse 9, he said, speaking of that time during the great tribulation, 
the, the seven years and then the three and a half years prior to his second coming, he said in Matthew 24, 9, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So it's not going to be simply within the context of Israel. Now it's, it's hated by all nations because of, of him. Now, though these statements about persecution give us some important insights into the subject, there is only one chapter that I'm aware of in the Bible that is devoted, totally devoted to instructing us about persecution. Everywhere else, we're given insights, sort of snippets and, and helpful thoughts about this. In fact, truthful, inspired, vital thoughts about it. But there's only one chapter that is totally devoted to teaching us about persecution, about opposition to the gospel, and about the high cost of being a follower of Christ in light of persecution. And that one chapter is Matthew chapter 10. So let's turn there. We've been studying this for several weeks now, and we've found that it is a pivotal, critical chapter in the flow of the gospel of Matthew, because Matthew tells us that up to this time, Jesus, who had been doing the ministry all by himself, makes a change. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus, we read, has decided to include his followers, his disciples, in his ministry. Up to this point, he had exclusively done all the teaching. He had exclusively done all the miracles. The disciples had observed the miracles. They had listened to his teaching. But now, Both Mark and Luke tell us in their gospel accounts that several months prior to the time of Matthew 10, Jesus chose 12 of his followers to become his special representatives. He called them apostles. These are his official ambassadors. And now these men, because they have been chosen for this task, they needed instruction on how to serve him. And they needed to understand what to expect as they were serving him. And that's really the the point of Matthew chapter 10. In this chapter, Jesus is giving his apostles some very focused and pointed instructions about an upcoming brief but critical missionary journey, missionary trip, short-term missions trip into Galilee. But then starting in verse 16, he expands it. He expands his instructions to include not only the apostles, but all believers as he gives us a panoramic view of what we can expect in this age as we witness for him until he returns. And instead of sugarcoating it, making it sound very romantic, making it sound very appealing, Jesus tells us about difficulties. He calls it dangers that await us. And he says there'll be dangers in the form of persecution and opposition to the gospel. In verse 16, which we've studied for several, for several weeks, in verse 16, he said, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. He tells us that, uh, that like weak and defenseless sheep, he, the shepherd of our souls, is thrusting us out amongst dangerous wolves, unbelievers, who will from time to time, not all the time, but from time to time, they'll attack us. We're being thrust into the the den of wolves. Therefore, we are to conduct ourselves in a special manner. We are in the midst of wolf-like unbelievers, so we are to be wise as serpents, meaning don't needlessly incite the wrath of these wolves by by arguing about petty things that are not related to the eternal gospel. Don't needlessly incite their wrath, but also be pure as as innocent doves so that we don't avoid their wrath because we compromise the truth. Be so godly 
that you'll never water down the gospel and compromise it. And so having laid down a general principle, that's all he does in verse 16. It's a general principle about the dangers awaiting us. Starting with verse 17, the Lord speaks about the specific wolves, the specific dangers that await us by identifying four areas or four people groups where we can expect opposition to come from them towards the gospel. We've already looked at two of these these opposition groups. Number one, religious people. He says that in verse 17, but beware of men for they'll hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. We are going to be opposed by religious people. Secondly, we spoke about secular government. It isn't just the religious groups that will persecute us. But in verse 18, he said that you'll even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the to the Gentiles. In just a moment, we will move on to the third source of persecution that Jesus mentioned. First, we would like to greet you if you just found us on your radio. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our topic for the past several days has been opposition to the gospel, and the main Bible text is Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 23. So far, we have heard about opposition from religion and government. If you have your Bible, turn to verse 21, and let's see another direction from which we can expect opposition or even persecution. Now, today we want to finish this section of Matthew 10 by discovering two more areas from which we can expect opposition to Christ and the gospel. So the third area that Jesus said we can expect to receive this opposition is from, interestingly enough, family members. Verse 21 says this, brother will betray brother to death, he said. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child And children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Now, folks, this is an amazing statement. This is one that that if you're not aware of this, it might even catch you off guard. It's an incredible statement because it tells us that that hatred for Christ runs so deep that at times even the members of one's own household will turn against them because of their faith in Christ. An amazing statement. And notice the kind of opposition that Jesus was talking about. It wasn't referring to just annoying your family, just uh, awkward moments, uncomfortable conversations about, about Christ. It's a lot deeper than that. He spoke about a type of opposition that will actually result in death. He said that a brother will betray his brother to death, and a father his child, meaning to death, and children in, in rising up against their parents will do that and will cause them to be put to death. So this is more than, uh, I'm not very comfortable with your faith. It's more than that. Now understand this, this does not mean, and Jesus was not teaching that family members will necessarily uh, kill their siblings, that they'll personally do that, or children or parents, but rather they'll betray them. The, The thought here is that they'll hand them over. It'll be an official handing them over to really government authorities who will in turn then execute them. That's what he's talking about. There's some type of betrayal, some type of official handing them over in terms of judgment. Now, we know that that 
from past history that this actually did take place in the second and third centuries in the Roman Empire as Christians were betrayed by their own family members and died at the hands of Roman civil authorities. This did take place. And this type of betrayal resulting in death occurs even today in some parts of the world, especially in Muslim countries, but not limited to that. But it's during the end times when just before Jesus returns, that, that persecution and betrayal by family members will reach its zenith. And the reason I say that is because Jesus specifically spoke about this in Mark chapter 13. So I'd like you to turn there. Keep your place in Matthew 10, please. But Mark 13. Now, I must tell you that what Jesus was saying in Mark 13 is he was using family persecution as a sign a sign for believers to indicate to them that his coming was near. And let me show you the context and, and how this unfolds. Mark chapter 13, starting at verse 1, it says, As he was going out of the temple, he meaning Christ, he was going out of the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple, you must understand, was not just one building. At that time, it was a beautiful complex of buildings, many buildings. The most beautiful part of, uh, of Jerusalem, most beautiful part of Israel is a complex of buildings. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. So he was admiring it. And he said, Jesus, isn't this in this gorgeous? Is there anything else like this here? And Jesus said to him, and this must have been absolutely, I know it was shocking. He said, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Now, folks, that, that had a shock. These men, they were saying, isn't this breathtaking? And the Lord said, yeah, but it's all going to be destroyed, all going to be destroyed. And then between verses two and three, we know that Jesus left Jerusalem, left the Temple Mount area. He would have uh, he would have then descended down the slopes of the Kidron Valley and then it rises up, and he was now on the Mount of Olives when verse 3 opens up. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Now, they questioned him privately because it bothered them. They must have been talking about this as they followed Jesus out of the uh, temple Mount complex area and, and went up. And it's a good hike up the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And all the while they were bothered by this. What does he mean by this? How could this be? And so verse four, they say this, they, they come to him privately and they say, Lord, tell us, when will these things be? When will the destruction of the temple be? They said, and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Now, I want you to understand that Jesus was only referring at this point to the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place in 70 AD. Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus and the Roman legion, and the temple was destroyed at that point too. There has never been another temple in Israel. But the disciples misunderstood Christ's words. They really didn't know what he was talking about, and they thought that the destruction of Jerusalem would be at the same time when Jesus returned to, to establish his physical kingdom on earth. And we know, though Mark doesn't really tell us, but we know from Matthew's gospel, this was precisely what they, they thought. They thought that the coming of Christ, the establishing of his kingdom, was at the same time 
that the temple would be destroyed, but it wasn't. And we know that's what they were thinking because Matthew 24, verse 3 tells us. Let me read this to you. It's a parallel passage. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of, they said, the end of the age? They assumed that Jesus meant when the temple was destroyed, the end of the age would come. But that's not what he meant at all. It happened in 70 AD and we're still, we'll st- we're still here. But notice that the disciples in asking Christ this question said, what's the sign? They were asking about one sign. What can we look for? What event can we look for that will tell us that the end is near? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of this age? What one event, Lord, can we, can we look for so that we'll know your coming is close? But instead of giving them one sign, and Jesus, began, he doesn't even deal then with Jerusalem. Now he's talking about the tribulation period, that seven-year tribulation period leading up to his second coming. And instead of giving them one sign of his coming, he gives them many signs. Now, these signs, folks, are trends, events that will take place in our world. And note this, some of the things that Jesus mentioned already are happening, but they're still not the signs yet because we're not in the tribulation period. We know that because there's been no peace treaty signed by the Antichrist and Israel. It hasn't happened yet. The signs mean, though these events are happening now, things like this, as we move into the tribulation period, as it happens, these things will increase in frequency and intensity. Jesus compares it to a woman in having labor pains. As she gets closer to delivering the baby, it gets more intense and more painful, and the pains come more frequently, I've been told. And so that's what this is about. So as we read this, as we read this, I don't want you to think, well, this stuff is happening now. It's happening now, but not like it will during the tribulation. And let me show you what I mean. We'll go through some of these signs. Beginning at verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, and he began to say to them, these were the signs. They asked for a sign. He's going to give them several signs. He began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead many. There's going to be false prophets, false teachers, and even some who will say, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you can expect. Now, there are false prophets today. There are false teachers today, but it will increase in the tribulation. It will increase in the tribulation period. Another sign will be an increase in wars and rumors about international conflicts. Verses 7 and 8, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, we've never lived in a day and age in which there are more rumors about conflicts and, and international battles than ever before. But in the tribulation, it'll be much more intense, much, much worse than it is now. Third sign will be the rise of natural catastrophes and famines as a result. Verse 8 goes on to say, There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. And these things, he said, are merely the beginning of birth pangs. So there are earthquakes today. There are tsunamis today. There are famines today. But Jesus said it's only the beginning. It's going to get worse. We're not in the tribulation. There are plenty of indications that the tribulation period may be just around the corner. Jesus said that during that time, the love of family will no longer be a restraint to the unsaved in their reactions to their Christian siblings, parents, or children. 
I know people who have actually been disowned by their families because they chose to follow Christ rather than family traditions. But that is nothing compared to the conflict to come. Hello, this is Peter Silseth. Pastor Steve will continue with that thought when we come back with the next verse by verse. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff has been serving since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse Ministries makes his clear, practical messages available for radio broadcast. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who are first faithful to their own churches. If you would like to listen to today's program again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have today's broadcast as well as previous classes available for download, or you can listen to them online. That's versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the start of a three-part message, which is the final message in this series covering opposition to the gospel. You can hear the entire message at once by ordering a cassette or a CD. Just call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-441-1714. It seems incredible that family members would turn against those who become Christ followers. But it happens often, not just in other countries and other times. It happens now in our own country. I hope you'll join us for the next Verse by Verse. Pastor. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.